Good morning. You know, God is so faithful. And I just celebrate today and raise a praise to God uh, because for the fact that we are gathered here um, for the Global Missions Health Conference for the first time being held in the continent of Africa, that in itself is a miracle. Um, the Lord has worked this out and for me it's no simple matter. Uh, it's something that I am so thankful about. It's something that has excited me and taken me on my knees before God in prayer, wanting some of you to experience what we have experienced over the years. We have been encouraged by participating in this conference, and it has changed us. And I desire that those that are in Africa, those that are in the front lines of ministry, would get to know what it means to connect with one another and be encouraged from a forum like this. And I'm just so thankful to be able to see the reality of this. And I do believe the Lord is lighting a candle and it's going to spread through the communities, through the nations, to the ends of the earth, that he will raise people from here releasing them to obey the call of God on their lives. And I believe Africa, the world, the kingdom of God will not remain the same. That just gives me so much joy. I'm speaking this morning on the topic, it's time. Africans for Africa. I have a deep conviction about transformational development that enables me to serve the way I do. I realize I cannot compromise on these convictions and continue to live both spiritually and even physically. It's that strong to me. And I bring a testimony on what God is doing in our current dispensation of missions in relation to transformational development. You know, times have changed, very much so. I was brought up in Makweni, which is on the eastern part of this nation. And in that locality, I grew up knowing of a missionary organization. One missionary and his family lived pretty close to where we were brought up. He was an ordained minister from Europe and I remember his children, even by name, Helen and Joy. I can go on to narrate his ministry and how he and his family eventually left. Belonging to the same mission agency was another missionary, a single woman. She was a teacher. And she initiated two secondary schools in that county. She died in the mission field. Uh, in fact, she died in a road traffic accident by the Mombasa Machakos Junction, if you can picture that spot. I knew of another mission organization not far from the area where these other two missionaries were serving in those days. And they had a mission health center, which was very well equipped it was giving very good services. It was famous all over the county, and several people would come to this health center to receive uh, healing, to receive attention. They had a missionary doctor. They had nurses, 
and even a dentist, which was rare in our days in that locality. But this has also long closed. Uh, the missionaries left, and they were not replaced. One speaker said yesterday, career missionaries over the age of 40 are becoming rare in our days in Africa, and I agree. If I were to ask many of you gathered here, you can be able to state the same stories of missionaries who came in your localities, served and served well, coming from Europe, coming from America, and they did their part, and they left. What can we learn from this? Where are we today? We realize there was a service given health education, spiritual ministry, including church planting. And we cannot deny that. In actual fact, some of us are in evidence to that work. My own father was a first-generation Christian because of missionaries who left their comforts and came to bring the gospel to us. We can also learn that there seemed to be no much connection between the services that were given. There was education separated from health. There was church planting separated from the others. There were vertical ministries that were being implemented in these areas. But we also realize that those who were recipients were not participants. The missionaries looked like, almost like they were superior to the nationals. They had it all together. And most of us did not measure up to relate closely to them or their families, or even be closely associated or related to what they were doing. They were experts in what they did. They were the ones who could do it well, and we looked up to them. I left my locality when I was 13 years old. And I came into Nairobi, and I went into a boarding school right here in Nairobi. And there I was exposed to other missionaries of other denominations. And as I graduated from high school, I made a decision that I wanted to become a missionary. But I wanted to become a different kind of missionary from what I had seen. I wanted to work with the poor, and I wanted to serve them at their level, involving them and showing Christ to them. I did not have the whole picture of how that would look, but I knew what I wanted to see. Although I had grown up in a Protestant influence and was influenced by those approaches that were there, I grew up wanting to be a missionary closer to the, to the Catholic style of ministry. They seemed to offer their lives totally, not just their services. They gave their commitment long term, and not just as far as family arrangements and other conveniences allowed. They took prayer and the practice of their faith seriously. They seem to be single-minded, and their allegiance seemed to be totally to God. 
When they served, especially in hospitals or among the poor, they related closely. They really connected with the destitute and love was demonstrated. That was the model I wanted to emulate. I even considered a move to join a convent and I consulted with some family members. I talked to my pastor and I took time to seek God. I identified what it was that was drawing me to this beautiful way of ministry. It's more than just a level. It was about being a Catholic missionary. It was not about being a Catholic missionary, but it was about being those things that I was seeing demonstrated in those missionaries. It was leaving out those virtues, those values, that Christ may be glorified. You know, I want to put it to us today that the nations, people are looking for an example that they can emulate. They're looking for a displayed model that is effective, that can be used in ministry to produce impact. Transformational ministry is that model that they are looking for. In Isaiah 61, Jesus states in his call and in his mission as he states it, as he stands up and says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And that's the model many are looking to see. How can this mission that Jesus came to demonstrate be put in a way that others can emulate? The strategy for missions has shifted. We are in this new and extremely exciting dispensation in our days. Just as there was a time written messages would be delivered by runners, and that was improved to telegrams, and then it was moved on to a point where we can deal with emails and even tweets and the whole, the whole lot in there, there was a time when ministry operated in separate departments. There was development, there was medical work, there was church planting, there was medical care, and those have moved on. The times that we focused on curative approaches only can no longer hold in our times. There was a time that these were set up in institutions and missionaries were coming to the field as long-term career missionaries sent by mission agencies from the West. Believe it or not, that is yesterday. There was a time we could only do missions, the conventional, the traditional style. And that was just fine. It worked then, and we knew no better. Just like telegrams worked then, and we knew no other way of communicating. So we lived with the limitations and disadvantages of that strategy. That strategy created dependency. It killed dignity. There was lack of local ownership. It limited the vision to the vision bearer and could only last for as long as the vision bearer was available. 
and limited to what he could deliver or she could deliver because we have only two hands. That conventional strategy had a history to overcome, especially when it came to Africa. It carried the print of a superpower coming to a colony, the boss and the servant. It comes with authority other than, other than comrade love. Participation is limited. The giver decides what the recipient needs, stages the intervention, and eventually leaves. Satisfied, fulfilled. It's not easy to change because it gives service providers like us some advantages that are very fulfilling. It gives ownership. It's limited to me and my direct efforts. We get to keep a job. We feel secure. It gives us status. We feel needed. And we feel we have a skill that is ours. And the credit is ours. We become the hero to the people that we serve. But the mission fields have changed. And I assure you the friends that you see seated in this conference that are from the West have embraced this change. They've come to that point of partnerships. And that's the reality we are working in. Because we are serving our Father's kingdom in a new dispensation. The reality in the fields and what God is doing has also changed and we cannot continue to serve the way we did in this new context. There are indigenous mission agencies that are springing up. National missionaries are going from one culture to another. Community-based organizations are getting set up in big numbers. We just need to go to the slums and see how many of those are registered are at work and are making inroads in the communities. Churches have been planted, and for most parts, even in closed countries, we've been involved in some of these closed countries and have seen Christians who can speak both English and the local language situated in very strategic places who could be used to reach out in these very dark areas. Technology has also been advanced and communication mediums are different from what was yesterday. The gospel is availed in several innovative ways. If you realize denomination lines have become very weak, and they are dying very fast. From this place where I'm speaking from, we've had speakers from different churches because it's about missions. It's a joint call for the global church. And those denomination lines are just dropping. There is the raised awareness that the problems we are dealing with in missions today cut across departments 
and a holistic, integrated approach facilitated by partnerships is what is going to serve and prevail in our times. You know, these changes hit me when I returned to Kenya after seven years in Ethiopia. Because sometimes when we are in it, week after week, we don't realize the change because it's so gradual. We become blind to what is happening right before us and we can continue to operate like that change is not there. You know, I believe it's time to do ministry, the Jesus way of ministry. Jesus made his disciples his co-workers in three years. They became hands-on participants. He delegated with authority to these disciples and he even gave them authority to cast out demons. For me, that is really high-profile skill in the hands of trainees. And if Jesus could do that, what is it that he has entrusted to us that we cannot delegate? You know, even with the knowledge that Peter will fail, he still tells him, feed my sheep. Even with the knowledge Judas is a thief, he still has him on his team. He even sends out his disciples to go alone with their shortcomings to carry out the very things that he had piloted for them. And then he hands it over. He faced out. Not because they were fully trained, but because he had modeled for them. Not because they were perfect and had come to a point where they had matured that they would not make mistakes. But that's why the Holy Spirit continues to teach us. Jesus came to give his life, to multiply himself in them, and not just to give a service and retain it to himself. That giving of one's life, I later realized, was the attribute I saw and admired in the Catholic missionaries of my days. But I realized I did not have to become one to still give my life. Jesus' role was demonstrated in the way he trained, the way he empowered, step back to facilitate the establishment of his father's kingdom and release it. So what is the mission strategy? What is the mission strategy that is working in our times? You know, basing from what I have seen in, in several areas, we've been to Honduras, we've been involved in Central America, We've had some ministries in Asia, Middle East, in Thailand. Recently, we've been involved in the Caribbean, the US, and other countries in Africa. Where God's grace is sufficient, where God's grace is being released, I'm seeing transformational strategies being in place. 
These are the ones that he is approving and these are the ones that are, he is favoring. They are the ones that are bearing fruit and the kind of fruit that lasts. But on the other hand, he is actively spitting out and frustrating ministries that are not transformational. The grace is just not there. And time is running out and there's a sense of urgency in what God is doing. It does look like it is his way, his shore in our generation. So what is happening? Missionaries are changing from long term to short term. They go, they make disciples, and they face out, they move to the next place. There isn't that patience of staying long anymore. The missionaries are coming to facilitate partnerships, setting up foundations for well-coordinated programs where nationals as well as short-term teams from the West can plug into and the nationals can come into partnership and the gears are shifting that this can accomplish the purpose of God in our time. Short-term missioners are pouring in. You just need to be at the Jomo Kenyatta International Airport for just a week, and you'll be able to count at least 20 teams coming through to minister in our slums, in our poor areas, especially during the summer months. And I bear testimony, these mission teams are effective if well plugged into ministries that are transformational and are willing to work at that level where everybody can be involved. If we can ask ourselves, what are the signs of a transformational ministry? What are the cardinal signs of a ministry that is transformational? Training of trainers is key. It's not directly giving service, but it's equipping others and bringing others on board that they can be equipped with the same skill to carry this forward. Church-based partnerships with the local church and that becoming a resource for this transformational development. They are empowering giving only what they need and coming alongside what people have on the ground and taking them to the next level. These are building dignity. It's doing it with the recipients, coming alongside them, other than doing it for them or doing it to them. They're bringing deliverance breaking the bondage through advocacy, through education, through skill, through development, setting people free from those circles of poverty. It's being able to face out that there's an end in sight. And they are marked by fruitfulness, people being graduated, people coming out of that and moving on to new levels of their walk in Christ.
These ministries are self-replenishing, not dependent on outside resource or outside skill, but become self-replenishing because those skills have been passed on and there's ownership that has taken place. They are bathed in prayer, they are guarded in prayer, and the key focus is that God may be glorified. The people serving in these transformational ministries are people who are willing to give of their themselves, not just a service. And that is transformational development. How can we tell that we have empowered the people we serve to be involved in this transformational development? We can tell we have empowered when we, we can take risks to delegate. When the skills we have are no longer being delivered just by us. But we have become partners with the participants of these ministries that they have gained the same skills. We can tell we have empowered when we can take time out and do not need a replacement. And even if we go back to the same communities, we are not going back to play the same roles that we played. We can tell we have empowered when we, to our surprise, to our surprise, we realize people moved on. They did not even consult, they did not even inform us, and they went to their next level of development. You know, if we have served in a role for three to five years and we cannot comfortably have teams run the show, we are failing. We are failing in empowerment. If we cannot throw doors open and invite others to be involved in the ministries and the vision that we have, we are failing. You know, the reality is God is doing this in our time. He is raising people who can be involved in ministries that are transformational. I talked to a few of our delegates last week and this week, and I was asking them, what kind of ministry are you involved in? One of the ones I talked to was Francis and Pamela, Bocacci. The Bocacci's are serving in a ministry in Ghana. Where are the Bocacci's? Are they here? They're right there, seated at the back. They came from Kenya and have gone cross-cultural to Ghana. And I was asking Francis, tell me what has happened? How did this journey begin? Francis got saved in 1990 at a gospel crusade just here at Huhuru Park. He had grown up in Western Kenya from just an ordinary family that we can all identify with. And when he was about eight years old, his father died and life became very difficult for them as children. They had to do all sorts of chores to try to survive. Now, you would imagine somebody who has enough troubles at home would want to stay to make ends meet, but not for Francis. He came over to study at Tare Boys Center, 
I think that's familiar to all of us in Nairobi. He got a scholarship and he wanted to pursue a medical career. He qualified and joined the University of Nairobi and his ambition was to become an orthopedic surgeon and a neurosurgeon, but God had another plan for him. He called him out of that. He went to, to be involved in a school of missions. And today, Francis is a student uh, pursuing a master's in organizational leadership. He's married to Pamela, and they have uh, three children. And they have been together involved in ministry. They've worked with the Somalis. They've been involved in some places that many of us would not want to go. They've worked in Kenya among poor communities. They've also been involved in working with abandoned babies through the New Life Home Trust. And in Ghana, where they went about three years ago, they began ministry in the northern part of Ghana, a very dry and hot area. I got to visit them recently. And their ministry has made impact. It's not a medical ministry. It's not an education ministry. It's not a church ministry. It's an, inter an integrated ministry that looks at what are the felt needs in this community and how can we involve the people to address them in a way that is sustainable. And after about three years on the northern part of Ghana, they have left people who are trained, who are equipped, who've owned the vision, and they've just relocated now to Accra to begin to do the same thing there to replicate what has happened in the North. I also talked to another woman, Mary Kamau. I think she's, she's right there in the green sweater. Mary is a, excuse me, the executive director and co-founder of Missions Hope International, excuse me. And Mary is, is married to Wallace. And uh, Wallace is, a, is an accountant, a business person, and they have been involved in ministry since 2000. Is that right? Mary was a student at Kenyatta University. And it was during that time that she met a little child from Madare who was a former, a former street boy. And this boy invited Mary to go and visit Madare and see where he came from. And Mary's heart was broken, seeing the conditions and the deplorable conditions in the slum. And she continued to visit, uh, connected with children's centers. She went back to school after her initial university degree and studied early childhood development and came back to the same locality among the slums and began a school working with 50 children and saw that grow. She involved people and the communities in several programs, community-driven, 
empowering them to, to do skills development, especially with HIV women. She worked in microenterprise. She involved medicine and even dental clinics. And today, that work has spread from 50 children in 2000 to over 10,000 children this year. To be exact, 10,300 plus. It has moved from just one locality to several other slums. She's in Korokosho, Babadogo, Madoya, Lodua, and she's also moved even to other counties, Lodua in Tokana. Mary is just like many of us, just one of us. She's married, she has children, and goes through the same kind of problems that any of us would go through. I talked to Rono, George Rono. Um, George had an interesting story. He got saved when he was in Bible school. Uh, he went to Bible school before he got to know the Lord. He had this ambition that he wanted to travel. And he thought if he's trained as a missionary, he can actually get to fulfill a dream of traveling around the world. And when the Lord met him there, it was a conversion almost similar to what happened on the Damascus Road. It was powerful. And God gave him a call. He finished what he was doing in Bible school, in missions training school, actually. And then he went on to serve the Lord. He has served the Lord in Ethiopia, in Tanzania, in Congo, in Malawi. Then he came back to Kenya for some time, and now he's in Haiti. He's been in Haiti for the last one and a half years. And there he has begun a transformational ministry in development. He's working with churches, using the holistic model of ministry. He's training leaders. He's involved in equipping them to prayer. He's initiating projects, hosting teams, especially teams from the U.S. because many teams from the U.S. go to Haiti. He's involved in several other activities that are meeting basic needs of the people in that locality. And I was just talking to Rono and he was telling me more than 100 have received Christ over just the recent time that they've been there. He's married to Dorcas. They have one child, Israel, and they've left home and gone to the ends of the earth to do transformational development. Then I talked to Jane, Jane Wathome. Sorry, I didn't ask where Rona was. Where's George? He may be outside. Is Jane, is Jane here? Jane Wathome? Okay, I'll tell her story. Um, Jane was born again uh, in 1990, and then that completely changed her life. Before then, she was in the corporate world, and she had a successful career as a sales and marketing um, representative. Uh, she had graduated and gone to school and was seeking to see how can she make a successful life in Kenya. 
But over the last 11 years, the Lord has pulled her from that, completely changed her life, and drawn her to work with disadvantaged women. She found a beacon of hope in the Rongai area, and she's working with women, empowering them in transformational development. And Beacon of Hope has a center there where they do health services, economic empowerment, education, youth mentorship, social empowerment, all those integrated into a ministry that is impacting lives. Through this center, they have been able to directly affect 300,000 people in healthcare-related work. They have a work that ministers to orphans and vulnerable children, and they're working with over 3,000. Jane is married, and her and her husband are working in this ministry. You know, I was asking myself, what does it take? Why Jane? Why George? What does it take? It takes obedience. It takes daily obedience and sometimes painful. It's been 18 years for me in the mission field and I'm still doing baby steps of how do we continue to walk in obedience with God. I've learned that it can be costly to give our lives. It's easier to give that service, but retain that life. But we can only be involved in ministries that are transformational if we are willing to give our lives. I'm reminded myself of two occasions that the Lord was demanding of me that I need to die. I need to release myself. And he knows how to do that. There's a time I had to leave Ethiopia to travel outside the country. And that time, Festus, my husband, had also traveled. And we had to leave our children uh, in Ethiopia. And I remember crying all the way to the airport, wondering, how can, how can God be requiring this of me? I also remember the time that God made it clear that it was time for the children to go to boarding school, to come back to Kenya. And I remember the week before we brought them and the week after, how I was just not functional. Sometimes obedience can be painful. But I want to quickly add, God is so faithful. We can never outgive God. Today, our two boys have grown to young men and they're just really loving and we are so proud of them. We can trust God, even with those things that are so precious to us, because he takes care of that. You know, Jesus in John 12, 24, gave the example of a kernel of wheat, saying, unless it falls to the ground and dies, it remains only as a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. It's almost like if no death, there's no fruit. At least the kind that lasts. Because in death, we are transformed from one state of existence 
to another state of existence. And it's only the transformed in partnership with God who can facilitate transformational development. I've realized our greatest spiritual transformation occurs in pain. For the children of Israel, they are 40 years in the wilderness wandering, completely changed them as a people to this day. For Jesus, fasting 40 days and nights in the desert in preparation for his ministry marked him at the start of his ministry. Pain and sacrifice can foster some of our greatest moments of spiritual growth. What specifically does death do in our lives? It burns up that bad spiritual fuel that we can carry around with us. Our unhealthy motivation of why we want to serve God in the first place. The ulterior motives. These are facts that play heavily into ministry decisions. And God has a way of bringing hard times to sift the cord from the interested or the wrongly motivated. In dying to pursuing success or ambitions or pursuing our feelings, or the things that we receive from God, we come into that transformed state where we can begin to make an impact. We come to a place where our feelings are taken away and are no longer sustaining us because we've moved on to a level of existence that is willing to fall to the ground that we can bear fruit. How can you tell you have died? You can tell you have died when you hear someone telling what you did and the owner is credited to another and that's fine with you. If you look at the fields and realize the harvest that's coming and that's being produced is beyond what you can do at a personal level and many others have come on board and they are directly involved in what you were called to do, then you have died. You can tell you have died if you no longer keep a list of what you have achieved because it's no longer you but Christ. But how can you tell you still live? We still have the former identity, still doing the same things that we came to do, and no disciples have been made. When we realize it's ours, it's our ministry, it's got our name written all over it. And it's yet to be inherited, it's so dependent on us. We can tell we haven't died if we are so fearful to trust that somebody else can do it and even do it better than us. On a personal note, there was a day I died, or so I thought. 
You know, my family and I were organizing our belongings to relocate to yet another uh, locality, and I came across the first English Bible I ever owned. It was the Revised Standard Version. And written at the back of that Bible was a list of the things that I had died for, and I had written a date there. There's a day, this day, that Florence Bevy died. That was my maiden name. And I went on to list those things that a teenage girl would choose to die to. There was also a time I died to the right of owning a home. My biggest concern in leaving home to go into cross-cultural missions was that I would not be able to fix a familiar meal for my boys. And that was painful. And I remember at a conference, the speaker asked us, what is it that you have found difficult to release? And we were given pieces of paper to write that, and we tied it to a balloon and released it, that it may be lifted from us so we can be free to go into, into missions without looking over our shoulder. But not yet. You think you are dead until you get to a new level in life, or a fresh spiritual gift, or a promotion comes your way, and it's time to die again. And some of these things that we die to are very capable of resurrecting. So it becomes an ongoing lifestyle. For those of us who want to give our lives and not just a service. This could pass as just information sharing, but I however know it is the example of ministry Jesus came for and left for us to follow. And he will cause it to come about. And it's in those people that he causes it to come about who are going to bear fruit with an eternal value. I believe with all of my heart that it is time for Africa. God is looking for who he can use to transform this continent. And God is looking for people who are willing to die that they can become transformers. I know God's agenda is filled with a zeal and he's calling people and using them that transformation can come about. The prophet Isaiah announcing Jesus' mission in the book of Isaiah 61:11 concludes by saying, for as soil makes a sprout come up and as a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before the nations. As Jesus left, he told us who are his disciples in Matthew 28:19, to go and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything. It is by teaching by example, 
by giving of our lives as he did in love. And to that end, he promises to be with us. It's an all or nothing law. If we do not take up the cross totally, we cannot be his disciples. We cannot disciple the way he has called us to disciple. He gives the terms, and that's denying of ourselves, taking the death prescription so we can bring forth seed. That is the kind that will pass the test of fire. That is the kind that will be left behind after we have moved on. As I conclude, I plead with you. I plead with the professionals. I plead with fellow missionaries. I plead with fellow ministers. I plead with my brothers and sisters. that we may arise to our time. The time has come and God has need of you. God has need of Africans to rise to this call for transformational development. He's already using some of us, the examples that I just gave, ordinary people who have chosen to present themselves to him that they can become tools of what he wants to do in Africa. He's using ordinary people who want to give themselves towards obedience. I believe he is using partnerships as they were described yesterday. And he's calling us as Africans to arise to these partnerships that he has provided. If you look across this room, they are readily available to partner with us. We need to play our role. We need to arise to our task. It's Africans for Africa. It's those who are willing to be empowered. It's those that are willing to take their position that God is going to readily use that transformation can come. It is the season for implementing these transformational ministries. The grace is released. The favor is released. The fields are ready, but the servants and the laborers are few. As this wave of partnerships for transformational development continues to go forth, as these opportunities continue to be open, are we as Africans just watching? As the days pass and there is continued suffering and there are beckoning conditions, are we as Africans just sitting back? As we see missionaries retire and go, are we allowing the things that they began to just be closed? Is God holding us accountable as Africans to rise to this call? As the worship team is just playing, I want you to consider where you are today.
What is it that the Lord has impressed in your heart? What is the skill that God has given you? What is the opportunity that has presented itself and it's yet to be responded to? What are the partnership opportunities that you've continually watched and have not become part of that? What are the things that we need to die to so that we can be involved in transformation? Let's bow in prayer. Father, we reflect on these things. And what comes to mind is our communities, where we were raised. What comes to mind is our streets. What comes to mind, Lord, is this continent and beyond and what difference we can make. Father, this day we ask ourselves, why not me? Why not me? What prevents me from being one of these people who can bring transformation in this continent? Father, may you examine us. If there be ways that we have not been obedient to you, if there be things that we have held on to, if there be partnerships that we have not released or ways we have been involved in ministry that have not been participatory and allowed ownership and built dignity. Father, we ask you this morning to forgive us. We ask you to forgive us. If we have continued to be involved in ways where grace has moved on, if we have insisted on our own way and hindered and grieved your Holy Spirit, Father, we ask that you forgive us. But yet, Lord, we are standing before you and saying it's got to be different. We're declaring, Father, we will not continue that grace may abide. We are rising to say, begin with us. Light a new fire in us that moves forward, that Africa can be transformed. The communities that continue to wait beyond Africa will be reached by Africans. Father, we declare those that are examples before us will not continue to labor alone. But we will arise. And we will go forth.
And just before I close, I'm going to ask those of you, if the Spirit of God is speaking to you and saying, I need you. I want you to enlist in this. I'm claiming you as my kernel of wheat and asking you to fall to the ground and die. That I may produce fruit through you. If you want to declare today that you want to be enlisted in this dispensation, I just want you to, to stand so we can declare that this is it. We want to be part of this. We want to be part of this season. He's looking for an army and he's inviting soldiers to go to the front lines. He's asking people to take up the cross and follow. He's in need of you. And he's asking, will you obey? Will you sign your name on this list? Will Africa be changed without you? Or are you saying if Africa is going to be changed, I want to be in that number? calling us and he's saying that their children that are waiting in Madare, the people that are dying in Somalia and have not heard this gospel, the people who are doing the things that we should be doing because we are retaining our lives. He's inviting us. To go preach this gospel to the nations. You know, I want us to just take one more step. For those of you who are standing, just come to the center circle and hold hands and let's claim Africa. Let's claim the nations together. Just move to the center circle and let's hold hands and close in prayer. That we are saying yes, count on us. We are saying yes, we will take nations for you.
he turned the world upside down with only 12. He can take Africa with us as we hold him. I know for some of you it's going to be a big change. He's going to require of you to change positions. He's going to require of you maybe to, to get out of some of the responsibilities you've been holding now. He's going to require a change of lifestyle or a change of strategy and missions. But God's grace is sufficient. I testify to that. We can do it in the authority of Christ. Let's pray. Father, here we are standing before you saying, as it is time for Africa, as you have released the grace, as you have prepared the fields, we will go. Send us, Lord. Be it Jerusalem, be it Judea, be it the ends of the earth, we enlist to whatever, however, that your kingdom will come, that your will is going to be done on earth as in heaven, that, Father, the places where you will send us, there your glory will occupy. We declare an end to the kingdom of darkness, and we release the kingdom of light. We declare an end to the oppression and we release the beginning of a new birth where people are going to rejoice and praise you as Lord and as Savior because you are sending us. We are saying enable us, let your spirit fill us, anoint us with your power, anoint us with your glory. Send us, Lord, that we can bring an end to the things that Satan has prevailed about. That, Father, it can be a new dawning in Africa, where we join hands as partners, where we work side by side as comrades in love, where, Father, your kingdom will prevail. And Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to commission these that are holding hands. As you have commissioned them, saying, go to the ends of the earth and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And Father, we declare you will be with them to that end. We thank you that you have called them and we thank you that you are able to keep them to the very end. You are Alpha and you are Omega. You are beginning and you will finish and you will finish well. This we dedicate to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. May the blessing of God rest on you. Please take your seats. Thank you. Amen.